Hello, and welcome to the Click and Obey podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about data. Uh, what's good? What's bad? Is there such thing as good and bad data? So, Mesh, what do you think about that? What up, D-Rush? Um, yeah, so data is a topic that you're probably going to hear us talk about um, in several podcasts over and over and over again, because uh, as you know, we're tech-focused. We're coming from the tech side of uh, we're coming from like a tech viewpoint. So data is pretty central to how we analyze a lot of the issues that we talk about. So let's, let's just start with what you just asked. Like what is, what is good data and what is bad data? I mean, is there even bad data? Would you say? Personally, I don't believe so. I think data can be misrepresented, misused. I don't think there's necessarily bad data because you never know when that data point will be useful the only problem with data is that you might collect it for the intention of using it in one way as opposed to how it actually should be. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's actually pretty close to what I was going to say, which is that like it, the thing about data is, and I think we mentioned this before, but like we, it's, it's more or less like land where you don't know what it's going to be used for. Like that land could be used for something terrible, like a slaughterhouse or something like that. I don't know, some crazy bad thing. Or it could be used to build a beautiful castle. But the thing is with data, you, you never know what the what the use could be. Now, the things around the data, you know, like the use or the way it is collected, um, those are things that can be bad, but that's not indicative of the data point itself. So in my mind, there's not really any bad data. There there could be useless data or not yet useful data, rather. Um because you never really know because you can't predict what you might need in the future. So that's a good point. And that's probably one of the things we'll talk about a lot, right? Is how is data collected? Because that matters so much, right? If you have terrible methodology, if you have terrible collection standards that you miss a lot of key data points, even if your standards such as that you ask the right questions or you're looking for the right data, but if you miss a lot of key data points, it's still terrible data collection, right? And that can lead to data being, misused, misconstrued, not quite being able to be understood. So on that topic, uh, I mean, the main thing we got to go into is COVID, right? And the yeah. data that is coming from both sides, both left and right here, sure. is all kinds of nonsense. Oh yeah. Like uh, this is a classic case of, and I think it's a, again, a thing that we kind of talked about with Twitter versus Parlay, where we kind of have a more or less unofficial split economy in terms of, even in terms of like news and polling and data. Um, and so very often the truth is, as, as I think we're finding out is, is actually in the middle of these two tales that you're told. So basically if you go to CNN and then you go to Fox or you go to MSNBC and you go to Fox, whatever, um, somewhere in the middle is the actual truth. <laughs> Always. It, it's amazing to me too, how politicized it's been, because if you're on the left, you got to lock down, lockdowns is the only thing that can save us. We got to wait for a vaccine. If you're on the right, masks don't even work. You don't have to wear masks. Look at the suicide rate. That's through the roof. Huh. Uh, both of these points are bunk, by the way. Total nonsense. Um, I mean, I say left and right. If you're on the hard left and right, most people in the, in the center are probably in the moderate of like, oh, I could do a little lockdown. I could do a little mask wearing, you know, and that's, that's the correct place because there is a, a sane middle here. It's just that the, the farther left and farther right are just crazy people at this time. Oh yeah, and and I will say the farther left actually has the amplification right now. They're the loudest. Um, that is so true. It's just, uh, I mean, yeah. I think most people are actually behaving correctly. <laughs> I think most people 
generally are, are nice people that will try at least to behave correctly. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about first with the data is uh, the caseload, right? Because that's the big worry that we have right now is like our cases are skyrocketing. Um, our deaths are also up, but that's, it used to be deaths, right? That used to matter. And now it's, oh, the cases are high. So that's the biggest problem. Even though deaths have actually kind of stabilized more or less, they've actually gone up a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but they then started the downturn again. So are you familiar with how they've been getting these, these case numbers and some of the issues? So specifically in Florida is the one I'm thinking of. So um, we can get into the right side of this, the, uh, the talking points from the right. So they, they, their, their claim is that it is a product of increased testing. Um, and then when it comes to the death, their, their claim is that the deaths are, are not, are, 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 could be people who died of another thing and then happen to test positive for COVID antibodies when they check the, the dead body. So I have some issues with that. Number one, I do think, I mean, it's like anything else. Obviously, if you test more, you're going to find more. And the United States is testing a lot now. They were not before. I mean, I think we remember that whole disaster when everything first started happening in March. But so some of that is true. Some of that is true. But I don't think it's entirely true for, like, I don't think it's 100% of new cases are because, oh, we're just testing more. So again, the truth is not, is generally not one side or the other. It's in the middle somewhere. Right. And then the, um, the death numbers, um, I think in some ways we're seeing the actual, we're, we're starting to see um, because of how much this thing has spread, we're actually starting to see the, the real death rate. And I think it is, they are correct that it is a low death rate on the right. Um, it's a pretty low death rate. The problem is, of course, if you infect enough people, it's a lot of total dead people. And I think that's where they kind of miss the mark on the right. It's like, yeah, if you have 0.005% death rate, but it's you know 50 million people, that's a lot of people. Yeah, right. like the raw number. So um, I am a little bit familiar with, with kind of the, the claims, at least on that side. So that's an interesting point you bring up, right? Is that people always forget that even if you have a low percentage, right? And I would consider 1% death rate to be a low percentage. I'm not saying that's ideal by any means, but one to 2%, uh, I think we're, it's like 1.4 or so in Texas. And then New York has a higher rate, obviously as far as death goes. But if you have a 370 million people, it turns out 1% of that is a shit ton of people, right? Yep. Like it is a massive amount. <laughs> it's a lot of people. So for people to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is, if it spreads, it is a massive deal. That doesn't mean necessarily we should lock down. That doesn't mean, hey, don't live your life, but to act like it's nothing and it, we're just, it's all being fabricated and it shouldn't be as worrisome. The flu is not 1%. Right. And there's a good point that, hey, the flu is, you know, 70,000 deaths a year. I think that's, that's the number I've heard. I, whether that's factually so, correct, I, I haven't double checked. But let's actually, we could fact check that. Keep talking and I'll, I will fact check that live. Well, thank you. But so if COVID is, is true to form, right, if the numbers are correct or at least close enough to correct that we're willing to take them at face value, right, 165,000 deaths so far. And we've only really counted them, give or take March, right? I think they've kind of gone back a little bit into February. So we're already double that and say, oh, well, it's just twice as bad as the flu. Well, there's two ways to look at that. One, okay, it's just twice as bad as the flu. We don't lock down for the flu, et cetera. The other way to look at it is like, well, 
holy shit, should have we have been doing more for the flu to keep people from dying? If we're having 70,000 people a year die from this, maybe we should have taken that more seriously, right? Maybe this right. is kind of a wake-up call. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a really good point, yeah. I, I actually, I want to dig deeper into that topic, but first I do want to complete the fact check. So you are not far off um, the CDC official estimates for 29-2020 based on a lot of years. I don't know if it says how many years here, but many, many, many years. Um, they put it between 24,000 to 62,000 flu deaths, and they caveat it with the fact that the flu, unlike COVID, um, is is very seasonal. Um, so these deaths are happening within a smaller amount of time in the year, um, which is kind of an interesting side note. And of course, we, we have a vaccine for most of the flus out there, most of the variations of the flu, and many people take it. So all those factors taken into, take into account, um, we are losing potentially like 60,000 people within a small part of the year. And to tie that back into your point, I think that's really interesting. I was just thinking about this this morning. Like, so we were living in this world where we more or less deemed it acceptable to have this number of flu deaths, given the fact that we had a vaccine, um, given the fact that um, most of these people are dying within a short amount of time. So if, if you were to take that same slice of time and compare it to COVID with a vaccine in the future, I'd be really interested to see that number. Um, but anyways, we lived in a world where we basically kind of accepted this and people were shaking hands and nothing was shut down. Now, because of COVID, even after we get the vaccine, let's just assume, can we say we assume that it's uh, the same number of deaths for COVID every year, 24,000 to 62,000, something like that. Sure. Um, but now do we consider that acceptable as well? Like, do we retreat back to saying, oh, this number, this number of deaths was actually acceptable or because, or have we flipped to a new spot because of COVID where we're just like actually zero deaths is acceptable. So we'll never really go back to normal. Like, have we flipped a switch? Like we're reviewing this acceptable death, which, which is really what it was. It really was an acceptable death um, total. And, and now we're, we're going to flip our view on it completely and say it's an unacceptable death total. That's a great question. And honestly, I don't know because I can't help but think some of this is political as well. It is. Right? Say, say that, because this is a lot of media driven, right? Media is getting a lot of mm -hmm. hype or a lot of viewership from this. And so sure. if they get to call a pandemic and say it's the worst thing ever, they're going to get more and more viewers, right? So if say Biden wins, uh, it would not shock me if you come December 1st and it's like, oh, it's really dying down. Well, I'm not sure we have to worry about this ever again. We'll mm -hmm. get a vaccine in another year or two and it'll all be good to go. And there'll be some deaths, but it'll be tolerable, right? Like the flu is. I, <laughs> I could definitely see that happening and it just wouldn't shock me at all because at some point oh, too, yeah. people are just not gonna be willing to be locked in their homes, especially not if they're not at high risk. Right, and, and there's another thing to keep in account. So this is a, often considered a right talking point. In some ways, you know, they go too far. And like I said earlier, the truth is generally in the middle, but staying locked in home, in our homes or whatever, is not necessarily a sustainable solution. At some point, we're going to have to move away from it. It's not going to work. It's not healthy. Like there's severe mental health concerns. We have no idea what it's doing to like marriages and children. We don't really know that impact. We do know that it's gonna have some impact. You can't isolate people. Um, we actually do know a little bit of that because oh, uh, really? domestic abuse is actually way up. Um, Interesting. Let me get the numbers on that yeah. as well. You keep talking, but I'll uh, keep going. Yeah, fact check uh, me on that. Abuse cases are way up. Yeah. Um, 
and th- those are my initial worries is like we are we know this like th- this is the type of thing that you learn early on in school you don't have to be like a phd and in like anything to even know this but um humans are social beings that's how we survived that's how we outlasted all the other huge land animals we were able to socialize and communicate and group up to 150 of us together to be able to take down any land animals um so this idea that we can just stay inside and kind of engineer engineer a new reality that is um in opposition to our nature and our instinct is, is pretty foolish, almost arrogant, I would say. So at some point we're gonna have to open things up. Now, I think your point is really, really interesting about like, we are living in a society that um, the, the political spec, the, the political people in, in society and people that are very close to the, their political affiliations, they disregard facts. They're both selectively um, pro and anti-science, uh, so. You know, let's say that, you know, Biden gets elected or even Trump gets elected. One of them is probably going to twist the facts or uh, or just ignore the facts in general um, and justify whatever it is that they're going to do. And the other side is going to, you know, reptilian reflex, just oppose whatever that side is doing. So and claim that it's in the name of science. Agreed. Uh, so I think it's a very I think you're right. It's a very predictable and kind of sad outcome. So I think it'll be up to people who. Uh, who don't necessarily line up, which I, I think honestly is the minority, uh, majority of people, but who don't necessarily devote themselves to one side or the other to, to debunk that. Agreed. And you know, so it's, I'd been hearing this stat and now trying to look it up. I was not able to find any concrete numbers and that could just be I'm, I'm bad at searching, but this actually leads me to another topic I wanted to talk about because I did see this the other day. So people have been claiming, uh, and this comes from the right, that suicide rates are up. Right, the deaths that we're saving from Corona, we're losing to suicide. Essentially, there's no evidence of that. There are some anecdotal uh, talks from different doctors, different uh, sheriffs, things like that. Right, where they say, "Hey, I, it's up five x, it's up four x," but those are in select counties, which I'm not debating that. Like those counties might be up. I'm not debating that. Right, and I don't know, and I don't have anything offhand that shows me county by county what sheriffs have answered to more calls or whatever. But that data is probably two years out from us knowing. And also suicides are also one of the hardest ones to lock down because the families generally have to say yes to the suicide account because say that you overdose on heroin, that can be labeled as as an overdose, but not a suicide, even if you are pretty clearly trying to commit suicide by overdosing on heroin, right? Right. So it's actually a very hard thing to do. Oh, it's Um, not easy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Another thing that comes into this as well is that you are much more likely to commit suicide when you are by yourself. Uh, And I I don't even mean like you're lonely or anything. That's obviously the mental health problems go into it. But I mean, actually, if you are physically not close to someone else. So if we've got people who are living with their parents or move back in or, or stuck with roommates, they're actually much less likely to commit suicide statistically. So the question would be, are some counties up because they're more likely to have 20 to 30 year old single people who just happen to live in that county because that's where it happens, right? If you go to certain locations and states, more single people live there than families, right? Suburbs versus downtown, et cetera. So then is suicide potentially down in suburbs up in, in cities, for example, right? And I think people are touting, oh, I heard five or six experts. And that tells me that it's up when we have nothing as far as data to show that that's actually the case. 
that was one of those, I, I was in on that train and then I started looking up. I was like, oh, you bastards, you got me. You got me. You yeah. have no data to back this. Yeah, I, I don't like that either. But I will say that I, I personally think there's enough anecdotal um, to, to at least try and look at it. It's like someone needs to look at this stuff. I think we should get Absolutely. some sort of, we should at least try to look at this. Like I'll give you an example. So here's an anecdote that definitely can't be rebutted. We shut things down. Um, and when, when you shut things down, you're shutting down things like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. This is, these are systems that people rely on uh, often to, to life and death type of measures. Um, and those are no longer available. And Zoom does not cut it for those things. We know that. <laughs> like, it has to be in person. When you take that away and you keep a liquor store open you know, <laughs> as an essential item um, and you, you close, it, it could be churches, it could be temples, it could be synagogues, it could be um, parks. I don't know. Some people kind of view nature as God. You know, whatever, whatever it is, a, a thing where people can go and, and see a higher power. Or, or be with a higher power. Like those type of people, especially those that are, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, that type of stuff. I know for a fact that that is, that, like that can't be good for them. Okay. Like that is oh, enough. Absolutely. And there are, there are enough people in those systems around the United States that we, that it's a strong enough anecdote to at least warrant a study. A hundred percent. And not to dismiss it. Out. Like if you dismiss that outright, you got your head up your ass. Right. And that's, and that's definitely not where I'm going. Cause I think yeah. it should be looked at and it would not shock me if it is up, but I think people are it touting it me. as if yeah. it's a hundred percent for sure. And it's like, we have no data to say whether it's up 5%, 10% state, yeah, even maybe, cause maybe it's, it's split, right. Cause like it impacts some people more than others because some people had to move back home. It not necessarily helped them for their long-term mental health. Right. But for their short term, because they're around people. So, around people, right? Yeah. So 100%, I agree with that. And it should be studied. And the curious thing for me too, will be the fallout, right? Say that, not this year, right? Say that, okay, you've got the number of people who commit suicide, COVID deaths, et cetera, et cetera. But what is the long-term mental health going to be for people who've been locked in their homes for m multiple months, right? It has drastically shifted how society is going to act with each other. So is that, what's that going to do five years from now, 10 years from now? I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see. I don't know it's how very, you're going to even collect data on that, quite honestly. That's a very good question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I even have an answer for that. Like it's, we're heading into the unknown, which I guess is why to, I guess to your more general point, like we can't assume that we have, like I, I see this trend of people already have these assumptions marked as conclusions in their head. Like they already have conclusions figured out and they're just looking for data or even making up the fact that there is data to justify their conclusions ahead of time. When re in reality, I think it should be more like what we're talking about here, which is we're like, okay, let's think through some stuff. Okay. Let's go see if there's data. Clearly there's not any data. We're going to go with the data. Like right. our conclusion will be derived from the data. Yeah. Um, it's, it's treating it like true science, right? You form a hypothesis, yeah. you go and collect data, you check if your hypothesis is matched by the data. And if it's not, that's fine. Like you can't always be right. Like it's not a big deal. That's really not. Um, but sadly, I, I don't think that's the general attitude. Um. <laughs> I think even more than sadly, I think just it is not <laughs> people are, uh, and partly I, 
well, one, I blame Trump a little bit. He's a, he's a symptom, not the cause, but like he also yeah. is just so divisive that it doesn't help that people it are willing help. to just overlook every piece of, of factual data and just say, it's all his fault. It's like, eh, it's not all his fault. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Whenever I hear 165,000 deaths due to Trump, it's like, so we'd have had zero deaths if Hillary was in office? Is that the, yeah. <laughs> that the yeah. assessment like, here? Like, yeah. what the See, fuck? It, yeah, you get back to the acceptable death thing where it's like, I, I wish there was zero deaths. Um, if you want zero deaths, then you blame China. Also a fact. But okay, given that there's not going to be zero deaths, let's just say the thing spills out regardless of president, which I think, I mean, that's probably a decent assumption to make. Um, right. Oh, it's 80,000 deaths under Hillary, acceptable, but 160 under Trump, unacceptable. And I get that there's a degree of difference there, but it still just strikes me as like, yeah, you're, you're looking at a symptom and it is bad and there is blame to be had there, in my opinion, but it is not the only thing. And I think we give it disproportionate focus. Like we need to figure, we need to focus more on the science here. Well, here's a, here's a bit of anecdotal data that would tell you it would 100% be okay the same amount of deaths under Hillary because Andrew <laughs> Cuomo in New York killed a shit ton of people with his dumbass uh, yeah. policy of throwing everybody who's got COVID who's old back into the nursing home. And they praise him as like doing the right thing. Uh, Fauci even said New York's doing it right. They still have the highest death rate of any state. In fact, it's so high, they had to split up New York City from New York because that death rate is so high. And New York is still the highest. So if that guy can just basically have killed all these people with his stupid policies and he's getting praised, I can only think what Clinton would have had had she been in office. I think that's a fair point. I mean, yeah, they, it, it's amazing to me that uh, nobody's looking at those numbers or they're looking at it very selectively. I'm like, I know Florida's not doing the great job. I know New York didn't do a great job. Why are they pretending that, why is either side pretending that they're perfect? I don't know. It's, I mean, sadly we know the reason, right? It's, yeah. and it also- Oh yeah, we actually, we do know, yeah. We do depends know on which station you watch, right? If you watch yeah. Fox News, Florida's <laughs> doing a great job. New York's terrible. Yeah. If you watch CNN, MSNBC, it's the opposite. Yeah, and it's like, huh, hmm. I wonder if the truth is in the middle there. Probably so. But yeah, another good example of this, right, is California and Texas. Right. So you see a, a lot of cases in California, a lot of deaths in California, and then you see adjusted for population, not too dissimilar in Texas, maybe slightly worse. Mm -hmm. um, like, are we really going to say that Texas is terrible and California is doing great? Or are we going to say like, mm, these are not ideal either? <laughs> like Democrat, Republican, not cutting the not cutting the mustard. Right. Yeah. So I I hope that someday everybody wakes up and realizes that every form of government sucks. Not that yeah. we need anarchy, but basically having these parties is just dumb because we had you have two ways of going about it. You have this is all bullshit data, no masks, no nothing. Just everybody go out and do stuff, or you have complete lockdown. And it's just we could have done 50 different things and tried it out, see who was effective and said, okay, everybody move to that. Everybody moved to that model. That's the good model. Um, but instead you get these political games and deaths are on the rise. And what's funny though, if you look at Sweden who didn't lock down and said, everybody be smart and we're going to have to just ride this out. And now they're at zero deaths uh, over the last couple of weeks. Or if I remember right, maybe they're at two, I forget. It's basically balanced to zero per day over the last couple of weeks. And they were mocked at the start, right? Oh, their death rate's so high. And people still say, 
oh, well, their death rate's higher in the U.S. And it is today. Come back in two weeks because we're on the upward trend and they're on the downward. Uh, I don't yeah. think we're gonna, they're going to be higher much longer. And their economy wasn't slashed, right? Everybody still was out and about and doing things. Um, not that the economy is the end-all be-all, but can we also act like that matters? Oh, yeah. That's another good point. So people dismiss the economy. They, they treat it like it's a synonym for um, putting money in the pockets of billionaires. But actually, in large part, you know, it, that does happen. Okay. If we look at Amazon, who's about to become a trillion dollar company, which is not paying taxes, totally, absolutely insane, in my opinion. But also the economy is what feeds people. It houses people. Like it's actually pretty damn important and it allows people to drive around. Like it allows commerce to happen. Um, so we can, I, th I think we could safely not pretend that the economy isn't important. Um, and that there are just some people who are substituting the word economy to mean like money in billionaires pockets. So, yeah, uh, yeah the and, government isn't going to feed everybody. We already tried that. And I, this is where liberals have lost me over the last few years too, because so they're usually, or they were in the nineties and early two thousands, I would say they're anti big business, right? They wanted to take mm -hmm. out the big business. They were for the little guy, et cetera. You know, who's profited the most in this COVID situation and via the lockdowns? Amazon, Walmart, Microsoft, Apple, like all of these people that are all of these businesses that are massive and everybody else who works and runs their own shop and is like the base of, of the economy really in your local sector, they're all stripped of their jobs. They all have nothing. And it's like, oh, well, we have to save lives. And it's like, well, what about their lives? Like, yeah. is it, are we just moving everybody to now work for Amazon? That's not exactly yeah. what I want in my life is that no. to be forced to work there. Yeah, this idea, which goes back to the whole thing, like this idea that this is a very simple thing, that this is just a, hey, either everybody's out and about and not wearing masks or everything is completely locked down. Um, the idea that it is a simple dichotomy automatically means that you probably aren't qualified to talk about this topic. Fact, right? It it almost makes me want to start every conversation. Well, you know how most people make the conversation of like, are you anti-Trump or are you pro-Trump? It's like, oh, did, did you denounce, did you do all the purity testing needed? Yeah. The purity testing that I want to pass on to people is like, tell me one thing that's wrong with your plan or your side's plan. If you yeah. cannot name a con, I'm not going to talk to you. You have not thought about this. Oh, You're just yeah. <laughs> Are you an interviewer? I mean, this is like an interviewer question, right? Like what is, uh, what is your one weakness or whatever? And then some people use that as an opportunity to humble brag. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's like, no, all, I, I, just, I, think you, I care too much. Yeah, I, I work too hard. It's a real problem. <laughs> you have to get my ass out of the seat. It really, it's a problem. Um, no, it's... <laughs> um, you have to feed me directly while I'm working. It's just, it's just a real problem. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think that would be the, the thing I'd, I'd want to ask people before they start commenting on this stuff. It's just like, how far up the ass of your ideology are you before you start talking about 330 million people? Which brings me to another point, actually, I, I did want to make and, and toss your way. Um, when we're comparing countries, I think we should take into account population. I think we should take into account monoculture or not. Mm -hmm. And I think we should also take into account geographical diversity. And I don't really see enough of that at all because those make a difference. So countries like Russia, even China to some extent, the United States, um, probably a little bit of Canada, I would imagine. 
these countries, like in comparison to Sweden and Finland and Norway and New Zealand and all these other countries, it's like, think about the geographical diversity there. Think about all the different climates there. Think about all the different types of people there in several of those countries. So I'm not going to say that about Russia or China. (laughs) Yeah, Try being a Muslim in China. Um, But yeah, uh, speaking of unmarked vans. But uh, yeah, I will say that like try Canada and the United States. Um, They have a ton, they have all sorts of different geography, all sorts of different people. These are multicultural societies. Um, We're not a monoculture. So we can't just have everyone kind of automatically be programmed to behave the same way because we're not all like basically one race with one religion with almost similar viewpoints on every single thing. That's sort of antithetical to what the country is. And a lot of countries are like that. So I, I just, my general point is like all of this stuff, people oversimplify almost all the stuff that we're talking about right now, as if it's some univariate, you know, one variable thing where. Right. Lockdown <laughs> or no, mask yeah. or no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, this is a multivariate thing. Almost every single time there are multiple variables involved with this thing. And we don't even know what the variables are. And the science in my mind is to find out what the variables are and to find out their effects. I don't know. I feel like that is in general what science does when it tries to explore something that is unknown. It's like, well, what are the variables? Let's start tweaking with things and see what changes what. And then they just keep kind of engineering and engineering and engineering and getting further into it and figuring out what variables do what, how do they play together? And I don't know. I don't feel like I'm saying anything ridiculous when I'm saying that, but like when I bring that up in, in private conversations, um, people will ridicule me all the time about that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I do think that like in some ways the United States does have it harder than these tiny little countries with tiny little populations where everybody is, um, looks almost exactly the same. Like, <laughs> you know, I do think we have a harder challenge. So like we, we do have to weigh that and that's not to excuse any number of deaths or anything, but I think it is a factor in looking at data, which is what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I mean, it, people will always lean back on, you just are willing for people to die. You just want people to die. And it's like, no, hmm. I just, I don't, I don't want people to die, but also I'm not going to just say that your way is right because you feel like it helps the most. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We we figured out that lockdowns can be somewhat beneficial, but definitely aren't all the way beneficial, right? Because a lot of people actually catch it in their home. So if you're stuck around somebody who's got COVID and you're around them 24 seven, the likelihood you catch COVID is very high, right? right? Whereas if you're only around them for a few hours, it, it makes a huge difference. And then too, like you said, the, the demographics, the states, the climates, all that stuff matters so much. Whether you have masks, whether you don't, lockdown, whether you do like outdoor markets versus indoor markets, all this stuff matters because yep. you look at South Dakota versus California even, way different, way different styles, way different ways of going about. Um, and South Dakota has lower death rate. They actually probably one of the lower death rates around and they, they were not on lockdown, but also it's just not that big of a state. Right. I mean, it's it's a land mass. I think it's uh, around the size of Sweden, if I'm not mistaken on my geography. Don't quote me. My geography is not exactly top notch. But but then also they don't have near the population that Sweden does. Right. So it's it's not apples to oranges. And I think people like you say, they're trying to say apples and oranges. Oh, this state versus this one, this city versus this one, this country versus this one. It's like that's not the case. Some countries are closer to states or even cities. 
right? I mean, it, if you look at <laughs> Tokyo, Tokyo is probably the best parallel for New York that we or New York City that we have. It right? is, yeah. So it's like you can't say Japan versus the U.S. You should look specifically. If you look at Kyoto, that's probably closer to somewhere, uh, you know, like Houston, maybe something like yeah, that. It's sure. So it's it, it's so different that people and they don't want to say that they they have to. You have to put it in 280 characters or less. You have to make sure it's a one-to-one comparison. And the fact is they're not, we just don't have that. Yeah. We, we don't have, I don't think we can assume that, that, that is such a huge assumption to, to make that you can just blindly compare two large entities and just think that's a univariate thing. It's multiple, multiple variables. If you really do care about the funny thing is if you really do care about like minimizing death, which I think is what we should care about. I think most people in general do, but, but I don't know. I think the politics honestly sometimes takes a, takes the first seat um, and they just don't want to admit it. But if you do care about minimizing debts, you'd be really interested in figuring out all the differences between these things so that you could get to the, get to the core differences between these situations. Like why the hell isn't it working here, but it is working here. Why, um, if we apply this thing from this place, will it actually work in this place? Not in theory, but in practice, will it actually work? So yeah, I, I just, yeah. An interesting thing 100%. you bring up there too, right, is, okay, you want to minimize death. What does that mean? Because do we say, okay, this year's mm. death total is the one that matters. What about next year's or the years after? The, you know, like I said, we don't Fair know for point. five years what the mental health aspect of this is going to be. And people are saying, we got to minimize death today, and we'll just deal with the, the problems <laughs> that stem from that tomorrow, the economy being one, mental right. health being another. And, and I get it that you really can't predict. There's no way because also we don't know. There could be a catastrophe, an asteroid could hit the earth. You just never know on these things. But when we say minimize death, people are looking at it as a day-to-day thing. And I don't know who's taking the long-term vision. I, I don't think Trump's a long-term guy. I Biden can't figure out his last sentence. So Biden won't be I, here in the long term. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. So I don't know who's looking at the long-term picture. I, I think Fauci is a media whore. So I don't think that dude's looking at the long-term picture. So I, who's, who's for us in this case? I, I think we're kind of screwed because I don't know who the long-term thinker is here. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, this is a thing we brought up in the podcast before. And as tech people, we really do understand this concept. You're talking about a little bit about side effects, right? Um, I want to boil it down again for those who, who don't know what a side effect is, but in, in tech, um, especially in software engineering, uh, when you are trying to execute some sort of business logic or some sort of action, um, you're generally splitting this execution into a series of smaller functions. So like, let's say you wanted to exercise, right? There would be functions for putting on your shoes, another function for stretching, another function for uh, making sure the dog is in a place where they won't tear up the house. I don't know, whatever. (laughs) You get my point. You can break it down to a small series of functions. Um, And if those functions are pure functions, then you could run those functions over and over and over and over and over and over again and with the same input and always expect the same output. Now, if they're impure, which means that they, they have a side effect, um, that means that some other unexpected thing could change over time as you execute that function over and over and over and again, and you'll end up in a spot where you end up having an unexpected result in another part of your application. Um, so in this case, it's like, yeah, we're talking about solutions, right? And people make their solutions always sound so obvious. But are you looking out for the inevitable thing that we find in, in software, which I think exists in the real world, obviously? Um, 
I think in economics, they even, they even have a term for it, maybe a tangential term for it, um, opportunity cost, but, right. um, yeah. Are, are you checking for side effects? Like, are you that, are you that confident in your solution that there's no side effects or that you have the side effects mitigated? Right. And that's, that's probably my biggest problem with Trump, right? Is that I don't think he cares anything about side effects. I think he no. is a, you know, free will in it, go by the seat of his pants, whatever happens yep. tomorrow, I'll deal with tomorrow <laughs> kind of person. Uh, not that he's the only one who's doing that, but that is, that's kind of his game, right? He's a counter puncher. And, yeah. He's a counter puncher. He's thinking about quarter by quarter. Right. And, and that's great, yep. right? When you need to counter punch, that's great that you have a counter puncher. But what if you're trying to do a strategy where you can like either counter the counter puncher or set up where you can't be counter punched, right? It's like, that's right, not yeah. his game. So I don't think he's necessarily the best person to run this. So you're saying Trump is a terrible, Trump is a terrible MMA fighter. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. uh, Biden couldn't find his way into the octagon. So nope. I don't think that's the answer either, but yeah, this this really saddens me. We needed someone who is in charge here for this, right? And I don't think we have it on either side because quite honestly, I haven't seen a democratic plan I like either. Uh, when your plan for economic recovery is, oh, let's make sure that we allow everybody over the border and let's give supplements to anybody who's here illegally and also let's let people out of prison. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That, that has nothing to do with the economic <laughs> stimulus. What are you doing? <laughs> Um, Republicans do that same shit because they wanted more FBI buildings. They wanted more, oh, yeah. uh, more tanks. <laughs> yeah. It's like, great. Is, is that economic supplement because we're adding more jobs? Is that your thought? Because that's not the way to do that. That's not no, a real economic stimulus to be preparing for a war. No, that's just more big government, which is ironic considering their position supposedly is to have a smaller government. I don't know. They claim that. Interesting yeah. how much spending goes up especially in like the military and executive branch sectors when, when they have power. <laughs> it's totally. always amazing, right? Everybody is anti-government spending until they're able to, to hold the, the purse, spring, purse strings. Yeah. yeah. I think it just speaks to, I mean, your point earlier about like, yeah, we're pro-free speech for our guys. I think people, I think, I think really the politics that's missing is the politics of empathy. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I don't know, is that because we're so polarized right now that we just can't even see the other side that it, people really think that whoever's on the other side is just evil. And that could be the internet talking, right? I don't know that I talk to enough people that actually believe that in, in my family and the people around me are generally pretty civil, but even they have some outbursts that I find weird from time to time, right? That they're yeah. not, they're not open to some ideas that I feel like they normally would be in, in, potentially even just years past, right? Say that even someone like Ted Cruz was president as opposed to Trump. I think they'd be more open to ideas and suggestions. And I, I think we've gotten to this massive polarization, which is really hurting us right now. Like COVID should have been a way to, to join together and it's just not. It should have been. Yep, it should have been. It should have been. And it, it has been the opposite. It was almost predictable from the outset, but I was, I was kind of hoping that I'd be wrong. Not just me, but everybody else who predicted that. <laughs> just hoping that we'd be wrong about that, about how uh, how divided we'd be. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, I mean, like even even with my own family, it's like it's been a situation that's been brewing for a little while, but um, it definitely worsened quite a bit with with COVID and everyone being stuck in home and um, George. You know, the the horrible killing of George Floyd made things 
accelerated things. And, and the fact that it happened during the time where we're all isolated and quarantined and everything, I think also had an effect, an amplifying effect on um, people that wanted to take the opportunity to take political power. So it's like to go back to that term side effect, right? The side effect of locking everybody in their house is that their mental state, it gets shattered, right? It's uh, somebody put it the best I've heard is that it's, we're all in a sense of road rage. We're all yeah. like, if you're walking by somebody on the sidewalk, right? You're worried yeah. that they're going to step too close. They might have COVID. And so as soon as something like George Floyd happens, everybody snaps, everybody just breaks because they're already in that heightened state where everything is the worst that could possibly be. And that's the side effect. Yeah, I think that's spot on, man. I think that's spot on. Well, to, to non sequitur us a little bit, because we've been talking a little politics, a little data. So how about yeah. we get into some political data? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, let's talk about some of the typical problems that I see with political data and that you see with political data. I want to talk about, like, for instance, polling is, is a really... It's a hot topic every four years now. I think it's going to be like that every four years ongoing. But one of the things I notice about polls is that um, people kind of make the assumption that the polling population is a generally representative pop, like of, of the population at large in the United States. And I'll say two things. Number one, not everybody votes. And it's not, and that, that, that population of people who actually vote tends to change over time. So that is, that is a variable. It's not even like this stable kind of thing. Like people are like, oh, old people vote. It's like, yeah, okay, you could say that about that block, but what about other blocks? Like that stuff is always shifting. Um, I mean, look no further than 2016. A lot of people that didn't vote before voted. So um, the fact that a poll really should only be, especially if it has to do with politics, should only really be as good as it's tie into the voting population. I think that gets lost on a lot of people. And the second thing I want to point out um, with, with polls is that it also depends on the climate. So if your climate is such that um, a large portion of the population doesn't feel like they should be expressing themselves in any certain way, or they should lie, you're going to end up with polls that even if they accurately represent the voting population, the results are going to be wrong because of not living in an open enough society. Like that's a real thing. I mean, do you really think that like 95% or whatever the damn number is of people love Putin in Russia? Uh, whoa, how dare you? Are okay. you insinuating right. that he doesn't have that kind of numbers? <laughs> yeah, I'll back off from that. But um yeah, I want to bring up a point that we talked about kind of privately, um, I think before, which is like the, the questions themselves. They're kind of all up for, I mean, the, the questions are yet another variable and they're very large variable. It's like, what type of question are you asking? Are you playing language games? Are you asking it in a, in a way where you're trying to emotionally put the, the poll answer the poll answer into a box. Like if you're asking a question like, do you believe 160,000 deaths is an acceptable number? It's kind of like, well, you put the answer in the question itself. 
um, you may you you purposely worded the question in a way that would evoke an emotional response in the person who was trying to answer it, and therefore skew the result. So this idea that there's, you know, neutral language that you should shoot for, I guess, also gets lost. Yeah, I mean that's the hard part, right? Is that if you even use the word, the the phrase is someone doing a good job? Yes or no? Is someone doing a bad job? Yes or no? Even that, even with the connotation, right? Sometimes that can sway. Now that's a very minor one. That's one that usually most people can get their internal bias and, and remove that and then say it actually yes or no. But there's a lot of slippery ways to put that. And that's a huge problem with polling. Um, one of the ones I saw the other day, I forget what, what it was from, but they basically use the question, do you think it's acceptable to lock children in cages uh, when illegal immigrants come over and are captured with children. It, it's some form of that, right? Don't quote me on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And as you might su suspect, like 95% or so, it was some massive number said no. Like, that's not acceptable. And I'd probably be on that same page, right? Like, I'm not having kids locked in cages. The thing is, that's not. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like it. I didn't like it under Obama, and I don't like it under Trump. Right. Certainly. And that's the thing is like, one, that's generally not what actually happens, quite honestly. Two, it's been happening for a long time. But then they use that answer to say that people were against illegal immigration, right? They were against the oh, detaining yeah. of uh, citizens who came over illegally. And it's like, well, that's, that's not – that's a different thing if you're asking if children in cages equates to detaining of someone who came over illegally, right? Like, and that's, that's a poll that they tried to bastardize, right? They were looking for an answer that they wanted. Not everybody's like that, but you can get the answer you want almost always if you ask the question in the way that you need to. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you emotionally, so let me, let me, let me, let me hit you back with something. So in this case, they, they are emotionally leading with, with language, the people who take that poll to an answer, or at least most of them, enough of them to where they can get the majority to, to answer the way that they want. Um, and then they're implying, like they're implying their answer inside of the question, and they're implying that it is tied to another topic entirely. So, like in this case, they're, they're tying the children in cages to the illegal immigration topic, which it's like, well, you could be against children in cages, but still have some sort of nuanced view on on immigration in general. Like that's not a crazy thing. We're adults, and we can think advanced thoughts as it turns out. But I'll right. say this. So in, in a world that we live in right now where politicians, when they make their pitch or when they, you know, market through social media and all the different mechanisms that we talk about, they speak in that same language that we're just talking about. So in that way, are the polls maybe in some ways accurate? Like if you use this type of language, you get this type of result in the poll. Well, if the politician markets themselves with this type of language, do they get some sort of, you know, relate like something that the, the poll would, would be able to predict? Like, do they, if they use that sort of language, are they able to get those votes? Do you see what I mean? Like, is it in some twisted way, uh, the way that they ask the questions because they're using the same type of language tricks to market to the people? Um, does that in some sort of way make the polls valid? Yeah, that's a great question. And that I, I don't know, I'd be very curious the data on it, right? And I'm, these people pay millions of dollars to data analysts to figure out whether they should ask or say things in this way with this wordage, uh, etc. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about too on this, 
So we've got the polls and they'll say, the latest I've seen is that Biden is up by 10 points in the polls, right? And to, to go back to the kind of the thing we started off this podcast with is what's good data versus what's bad data. And I still say, I don't believe there's bad data, but what is useless is if you give me a national average on how many points uh, Joe Biden is up, because it turns yeah, out why? that's not how we elect people, yeah. right? <laughs> we do it state by state. So if you told me he's up by 10 points and he's up by like 25 in California, and that has, you know, uh, one-tenth of the population in the United States, it's actually a little bit more than that. It turns out that's a pretty massive swing that doesn't matter, right? I'm not saying he's not up in other states. He still might win it. Very possible, right? But people kind of use this data. So, oh, it trumps down 10 points. It's like, well, what is he in Michigan? What is he in Minnesota? What is he in Ohio, right? And he might Florida? be down in those. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think he is down like in Michigan in a pretty good number. But two are, are the are several things, right? Are the polls trustworthy? Are we getting a good demographic with good questions, with reasonable things? Two, uh, does it matter, <laughs> right? Like, it, are you giving me the actual scope of things as it matters in those states? And I, I don't know. I don't know that we're getting a lot of that. That, Like, yeah. political politics does have the aggregate polling, and I think it does a good job. But in general, singular, single polls are terrible. Yeah, and I, I do want to add on to that, too. Like, we're also the political climate point of, like, how are people changing their answers if they're changing their answers in these polls? Right. Yeah. The, do you plan we, to vote we for know. Joe Biden? It's like, well, I mean, who are you? Are you an Antifa person? Cause I'm not going to tell you yeah. a, a real fucking answer. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what was going to happen if I attach my personal information to a, a thing that I might deem to be cancel culture worthy, a target worthy, you know, I mean, we are living in that era. So that's a real thing that happens. Yes. Um, I wanted to bring up one more thing before we got to go. And that is, um, I think you kind of hinted at it when we're like combining different polls and things like that, just in general with data, there's a thing called the pooling effect. So when you pool data together, you do have to be a little bit careful because, you know, data could be collected and can be analyzed in different ways. And if you are pulling data from different sources that are collecting it and analyzing it different ways and you're combining it together, you're going to increase your error and you might even bring in some things that are incorrect. So let me give you an example. Um, when we talk about total number of COVID deaths. You got to remember that we're talking about 50 States all measuring deaths different ways or even across the world. So when you're comparing death numbers or when you're pooling them together to like 50 States being pulled into one large national total should keep in mind, these are healthy questions to ask in general. Um, they teach it to you in like basic stats classes in college. So these are not controversial things. And if you find yourself thinking it's controversial, you might be really far up your ideology's ass. But um, so take into account like COVID deaths. There's a lot of different deaths, right? There are deaths due to COVID, certainly. There are deaths that are very likely um, like COVID is a large factor in it, but they might've had something else like a, a pre-existing condition and COVID came in and COVID helped to kill them, but it wasn't a hundred percent the responsible. It was like 80% or something like that. There's probable, you know, like COVID probably, I can't tell, but probably had some sort of effect on killing them, you know, say 40%, just throw a number out there. I think there's actually a meaningful difference there. And then there's people who you know, which I suspect there are some people who died and they happened to test positive for COVID. And those are just the categories that come up with off the top of my head, thinking like a fifth grader. I'm sure someone who's more studied can think of more, but um, 
the pooling effect is always something to keep in account because different states might judge those numbers differently, might have a different type of nuanced approach to those numbers. Like they might count some things or they might not count some of those things as COVID deaths. So, yeah. And with the pooling you talk about, I always call it the dartboard average. So say that I have a dartboard <laughs> and I throw four darts, right? And I, uh, I hit the very top, the very bottom, the very left, the very right. What's my average? And it's a bullseye, right? Mm -hmm. My bullseye. average is that I got a bullseye. I should have 200 points, right? And it's like, well, that's not even close to what I did. I didn't come anywhere close to it. <laughs> yeah, um, you sucked. <laughs> right. So, so I would just call that the dartboard average where it's like, oh, yeah, it's just a pool of stuff that makes it look good, but realistically is not any, any kind of useful. And to your point, it, it's actually one of the things I wanted to bring up with that the right does have a good point on is if you look in Florida, they were doing a study, uh, or not a study, but it was like a news channel who's investigating COVID deaths. Right. And they were looking into uh, some of the deaths that were of 25 years and, and younger, because those are the least likely to die from COVID. Right. Uh, or sorry, it was 20 to 25 year olds, not 25 and younger, 20 to 25 year olds. And they had two deaths. And one of them was in a motorcycle crash. And they said, uh, that doesn't seem like that's a COVID death. That seems <laughs> like, you know, that's a, just a motorcycle accident. And he had he just happened to have COVID. Right. And they said, oh, well, we can't be sure. And then what do you know about a week later, they went and changed it and said, oh, no, we can't be sure that's not a COVID death. And so they did more investigation and they looked and there was something like 600 plus cases of COVID, only 150 that they'd count, or of the 600 that they counted as a COVID death, only about 150 could actually be said to be a death from COVID. Right? Wait, I say 150, I meant 190, like 190 that they could count, right? So that's almost like one third of the deaths are the only ones you can count as actually being COVID death. The others are either probable or not even close. And that's a massive problem. And that doesn't mean that all the deaths are, are oh, mislabeled, yeah. right? Because like having one lab label does but, not mean that the entire country is off. Right. But it's a real question. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, it just it just means that, hey, look, you've got multiple people deciding what is the magic number for that region. And then you're pooling multiple regions together and that is going to increase your error. And the error, mean, error is meaningful because every life matters. So, um, yeah, yeah that is, that's to, a problem with the pooling effect. Absolutely. And, and if COVID deaths, say that we're at 165 today, and say they're off by 10%, right? It's actually, what would that be? About 150,000 deaths. Nobody's debating that that's a real, real number that we need to look at and figure out what's an acceptable number. How are we going to you know, curtail it? What are we going to do to fend it off? but people have to be accepting that these numbers are probably off. That doesn't mean that they're also not wrong in the other way, right? Maybe we are missing some deaths, but it could be. Yeah. But the fact is like, there are a lot of numbers that we're just taking for granted and it's going to be two or three years before we actually have real numbers. Cause people are going to go back and reinvestigate, relook at the numbers, kick some stuff out. Colorado already did this a little bit. They went and reassessed the deaths. And what they did is they took about 25% of COVID deaths out and called them, potentially COVID related or died, died with COVID. Right. And, and we should keep track of those numbers too. We should yeah, have those numbers. A hundred percent because even if it is something that pushes you over the cliff, well, we can't have people just being pushed over the cliff into death. No, right? if that's people not normally good. Yeah. If people normally would have survived if they had cancer or, uh, you know, pneumonia or something like that and they got COVID and they died, that's also not good. Like that's no. a, a look that, you know, that's a cancer death. If we prevent COVID, we prevent that death. Yeah, and I would argue that that is, it's actually important to have that as its own category. We should focus on that. Like we should save those lives too. 
those are important. hundred percent. But yeah, uh, I- yeah, I guess, I mean, I think that's a good place for us to, to, uh, close up shop. I, I think it just in general to the viewers out there, like just keep asking questions about data in general, ask fifth grader level questions. Hundred percent. Double check your data. I've been wrong on so I I try to check my data triple time, right? And I'm still wrong on stuff, and I still sometimes take things for granted. So never right. be worried. Also, if you're wrong about it or hear the wrong thing, that's fine. Be right tomorrow. You don't have to be yeah. right today yeah. always, right? If you're yeah. wrong tomorrow or if you're wrong, accept it. You're wrong. That's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Don't have a predetermined conclusion always. Like sometimes you really need to pay attention to the data. And like, I, I realize that like data is not easy to look up. It's not easy to come across and there's problems with gathering data like we talked about in, in this pod, but um, having the, I, I guess really what we're getting at when we're saying like, try and look up data is really have an open mind. Um, just keep in mind that the people that are trying to feed you narratives are feeding you really small pieces of the truth puzzle. And very likely the, truth is something that is transcendent from either side. Yeah. The, the goal should be if somebody tells you their truth, right, their narrative, see if you can come to that same conclusion by looking at the data yourself, right? right? Ask them for what data they looked at. And because people might be taking a, a good faith attempt at trying to get to something and misinterpret yes. data or not interpret the same way you did. That happens all the time, but that's you should okay. look at the data. Yeah. yeah, we can look at two pieces of data and have the different you know, conception of what happened there. That's fine. But if we're looking at different data sets, that's a problem. That's a massive problem. Indeed, indeed. So with that said, I think, um, I think it's a good uh, place to leave off. Um, if you like what you're hearing, definitely share it with all your friends. You can find us on every single major podcasting platform. Click and obey. Uh, we're on Facebook. Click and obey. Um, so subscribe, like, share, comment, tweet about us. If you want, we might get canceled if you do that though, but, uh, um, we're willing to have that happen. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. We'll be platformed actually, if that was to happen. So anyways, uh, peace, peace.